0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is a special edition of the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. It's the day after Election Day, and Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are here to discuss what we know and what we don't know about what happened on Tuesday. First of all, uh, Julie and Gromer, how are you guys doing today? Did get any sleep last night?
1: Groms, how many cups of coffee have you had today?
2: I've had two pots of highly caffeinated black tea. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have because I didn't want to have the jitters, you know.
1: Yeah, I totally have the jitters and I had a double shot of espresso this morning and I had a double shot or a single shot of espresso after lunch to just get me through the day.
2: Yeah. But I gotta tell you, uh, tell you guys, I'm a junkie, right? So I actually went to bed at like 3:30 in the morning and I couldn't sleep, so I cut the TV back on just to check on how it was doing. And just then I saw the, the, the Milwaukee dump in Wisconsin and uh, when Biden kind of went ahead in Wisconsin and I was like, wow. So I watched a few more for a few more minutes of that and I finally got to sleep and uh, got back up a, a few hours later. So it's been a Well,
1: long. I, as you all know, I'm the person that goes to bed at the crack of eight. So I made it up to like 1230, which to me is- oh, that's,
2: that's big for you, right? Big.
1: Big, And then I woke up at three and I checked everything and then I went back to bed till about 6.30. Um, And, you know, it's gonna be a long day today. Tomorrow's gonna be a long day. Now, as we are taping this, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden winning Wisconsin and the president is asking for a recount there.
2: Yeah, see, it's fascinating what has happened because we went into this knowing that Biden had to restore the the great blue wall, as Democrats like to call it, that Trump knocked down in his victory over Hillary Clinton. We didn't know that it would be this close. Polls showed, and Julie, here we go with the polls again.
0: Polls showed
2: Biden with easy victories in Wisconsin for sure, but also winning in Michigan and Pennsylvania and even Florida. And they obviously were wrong. But what's fascinating is that the way these votes are being counted, the election day vote, Trump had the lead and now just as we thought, mail-in ballots and the vote that's being counted now for people who voted remotely or through the mail, Biden, that's what's giving him his advantage. And I think it helps him that the urban areas, Milwaukee and Wisconsin and Detroit and Michigan held back there. Hell back, they're counting to the last minute and and that's what's putting them ahead. So looks like Biden has a good shot. Who knows in this crazy, wacky election, what will happen? But, you know, I think right now, most people would rather be him than Trump considering that all he has to do if he holds Arizona and Nevada to win Wisconsin and Michigan. To get to 270, right? Right there at 270.
1: Arizona was fascinating for me to watch last night, Georgia interesting too, because at this point it's, you know, it's still undecided that one could go either way. You know, it's funny because I have worked in, I worked in both Erie, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I know Erie was a big focus because in 2016, it went for Trump and I believe in 2012, for President Trump, and 2012, I believe, and I could be getting this wrong because again, three shots of espresso, I think it went for Obama. So um, it's interesting to watch that, that city be so in the spotlight. in Allegheny County in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, that's, that generally goes blue, but the areas around it, you've got Butler County, you've got um, Westmoreland County, they generally go red. So it, it's just an interesting state.
2: It is, and I gotta tell you, Biden, if he, if he wins the White House on the strength of Wisconsin, Michigan, he may dodge a bullet if he loses Pennsylvania because that was his big selling point, Julie. Scranton Joe, you know, I can deliver Pennsylvania.
1: During the debate. And it was so late in the debate. Oh,
2: the fracking.
1: The oil and the fracking. And, you know, as we know, it's like the first hour of the debate is when people are paying more attention. And then it just kind of squeezed in at the last, you know, it was this question was like towards the end. But interestingly, like I, I you know, I interviewed former vice president Joe Biden last week and he gave a very, you know, he knew the oil question was coming. He gave an answer on it. He talked about it. We didn't want to get rid of oil. He talked about oil subsidies. So, it, you know, the whole thing has been fascinating, but you know, what was fascinating to both, I can speak for Gromer here, the Texas
2: house. Well, before we get to the House, let me just say this also. Notice how Biden went to Georgia and didn't visit Texas? He knew, didn't he?
1: I think, you know, all along- he knew that
2: Texas wasn't really in play for him, right?
1: But then what I want to understand then is, yes, I, I think he, he knew it wasn't in play. But Kamala Harris spent three days before the election making three stops here.
2: Yeah, I know. It's just like, well, you know, let me send- you know how, how the stereotypical, she's not the vice president yet, but the president sends a, you know, the, the vice president away on some sort of mission <laughs> you know, in some <laughs> faraway country. Uh, I think it was a little bit of that. You know, I'm gonna shut these Beto O'Rourke and Julian Castro and these Texas Democrats up by sending them Kamala Harris and, and, and that, that'll, that'll mollify them but I'm not going there because I need to be in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and even Georgia. So I just thought that was interesting. And Trump didn't come here, obviously, either. And he he, he won the state pretty, well, comparatively speaking, pretty easily. So well, Roy here,
1: Bailey said, Roy Bailey, who's one of the, uh, tell me if I'm saying this right, Grom co, uh, co-chairman of finance for the Trump campaign. He, he said President Trump shouldn't come here.
2: Yeah, he did. Uh, he, he should said go to
1: other states.
2: He said it on the big show, didn't he?
1: He said it on the big, and once you say something on our show,
2: it's out there. Yeah, out there. So you you mentioned Um, the Texas House. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, I talked to um Chris Turner today, the um Texas Democratic Caucus Chair, and Chris, you know, basically came out and said he was disappointed. He was glad in North Texas the incumbents held their seats. Said first priority is to get back to Austin and do the work, but politically, yes, they have to take. When he says do the work, he means the work in Austin. You know. Economy, But he said, after that, um, you know, politically, they have to look at this.
2: They blew it. They blew it. And uh, it's a combination of they blew it and Republicans were ready. You know, 2018, Democrats picked up 12 seats. But we all figured that that was the low hanging fruit. The conventional wisdom at the start of the process was that this would be much harder for Democrats. But then... The narratives sort of begin to change again with polling and with, with the boastfulness of, of some Texas Democrats that, wow, they can really do this. And then we start looking at some of the Rick Stickland's seat, and, and he's retiring, but his seat in Tarrant County and some of the other Tarrant County seats look good. Morgan Meyer in Dallas County, who looked like a dead man walking, but actually pulled it out. Angie Chen Button. And so when you look at these, these races, it kind of makes sense that they would be tougher for, for Democrats to get. But I really think the party leaders should take a lesson in managing expectations. You know what I mean, Julie? If you put it out in the universe that you're gonna flip Texas, that Biden's gonna win Texas, and MJ Hagar is gonna uh, win the Senate race, and we're gonna flip the House, and it doesn't happen, you're gonna get crushed when it doesn't happen. I appreciated
1: Representative Turner coming on and doing an interview today. I appreciated that. Um, Yeah, I think when you put it out, although, you know, former El Paso representative Beto O'Rourke who has really made this his work to flip this state.
2: And he he worked his butt off. He
1: he never said it was gonna flip. He said he hoped that it would flip and they would work hard for it to flip. I am sure he is very, I, I would imagine he's very disappointed, but I mean, that, uh, you get the emails. There was a phone bank every eleven minutes.
2: Yeah, not only that, they they tracked and registered these new voters from out of state, and then tried to get them to the polls. He was all over the place uh, in Garland, all over North Texas, all over the state, helping House candidates. Where I think that I'm gonna write this, I'm gonna write about this tomorrow, Julie. Don't underestimate the Republicans working. And door knocking and campaigning through the pandemic, and Democrats looking at the science and saying that they weren't gonna put their workers at risk. Some started campaigning at the end, but there was a lost summer for a lot of Democratic candidates in terms of that personal contact that you need with voters in order to be successful. I don't think you can underestimate, you know, Beth Van Dyne uh, in Congressional District 24 working from her primary on nonstop, interacting with voters, and Candace basically not doing that and not having her team knock on doors. That, I believe, hurt Democrats. And I'm not criticizing them for it, for it because they were, in, in most cases, doing what they felt was right in a pandemic. But man, when you make that kind of decision, it could go against you, and I think it, it, hurt, it hurt some of the candidates.
0: Do you guys think the voters that Democrats are courting though, would they have responded as well as Republican voters to in-person campaign? That's a great
2: question, but uh, I can tell you this, on the Republican side, I've heard stories of voters that were cooped up in the house and going stir crazy, that was just happy to talk to someone knocking on their door and talking about politics. And okay. they were glad to have the company. Uh, but you're right. There, there are some people who don't want you knocking on their door in the first place, right? And if you do it in a pandemic, yeah, it could backfire. Uh,
1: I get that. I mean, the Amazon man gets here. I'm like, hi, how yeah. are you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you say, hey, Amazon man.
1: <laughs> it's like, or I'm sorry, the Amazon man or the Amazon woman. I mean, right. I know what you mean. Well, that's like on my morning walk, socially distant, of course. Anybody that will stop and talk to me. From a safe distance i'm
2: in yeah so i mean in that respect uh republicans found out that their base voters didn't mind that kind of a kind of contact and i know uh again morgan meyer and uh, what's that 108 in the park Cities district state house district man that republican turnout was off the chain it was off the charts and and uh he overwhelmed Joanna Cadnac who couldn't build on what she did in 2018 with that close. Yeah, but
1: here's what's interesting: Morgan Meyer, in many cases, is in the same district as Colin Allred.
2: Yeah.
1: And yet, Morgan, you know, has this massive Republican turnout, and Representative Allred wins by what, seven points?
2: Yeah, he crushed it. It was another seven-point It was a, kind of the same margin he beat Sessions by, and I can, I he probably. I mean, he won't say this, but, you know, I think in this one, he wanted to run it up a little bit, but, but you know, that is still kind of a swing district. But, look, Aubrey ran a great campaign and uh, that's one of the bright spots for Democrats. That's, becoming.
1: The, the, what is the saying? Like once you get elected to your second term in Congress, like you're likely gonna be there for a minute.
2: Yeah, and the thing is he, he gets elected for his second term that will be probably a protected district when they, re, when they draw the lines. It's a minority opportunity district now, uh, which means that uh, when you draw it, you're gonna have to be mindful of giving communities of color, in his case, he's, he's a black guy, the opportunity to elect the, the candidate of their choice. So he wanted just in time, you know, to, to have that kind of consideration during the redistricting process. And I would expect uh, him to come out of redistricting with a stronger district. And that's why it was so important for Genevieve Collins if you, uh, and Republicans, if you're gonna get a, get a freshman, you gotta get him when he's a freshman, right, Julie? You can't let them be in that seat uh, too much longer after that. So uh, that might be gone for Republicans at this point.
1: And as our friend Todd Gilman said, it'll be very interesting in the, um, congressional Texas lunches with um, Pete Sessions and Colin Allred together. Pete Sessions going back. Now I'm interested to see what this is going to be like for Pete Sessions only because Pete was chairman of that powerful rules committee. And now he's going back and he is not in the majority.
2: He's not in the majority. He keeps his seniority. So he'll he'll probably get a committee, I forgot what he told me he wanted to, to sit on. But, uh, and for those who don't know, he's gonna be representing the Waco area district that the retiring Republican Bill Flores, he's leaving that district in, in McClendon, in, in the Waco area. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting because you know Sessions, I mean, he's been on the show many times. He likes to be in the majority. You know, he, he, he likes to
1: have the power. He He's gonna loves have some
2: it. Some rules committee chairmanship, right? He he was you he know, loved
1: that. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: But it, it won't be like that now. And I you know, we'll see what happens with the presidential race, but with Republicans holding on to the Senate, a Democratic House, potentially uh Biden is president, if it holds, uh, or even if Trump comes back, it it will be a potential for gridlock again. And I don't know if the nation really wants that, Julie.
1: Grom, it was good to virtually see you. It was Chris, wait, one
2: wait. One more thing though, no, Chris, Julie, we didn't talk about the Senate race. Oh my gosh. Okay, well we John got- John
0: to- Cornyn reelected by what, 10 points? Not as close as some projections had it. Yeah. Kind of similar, similar to the presidential as far as the projections being a I, little off.
2: Yeah, I'll be quick. I mean, Cornyn ran a great. A, a really nice campaign, Julie.
1: Well, he did, and also, you know, what I heard from a lot of people, his commercials resonated.
2: Yeah, they and, were
1: very personal, and a lot. I heard from people on both sides of the aisle; they felt that those commercials resonated.
2: And 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 now you know, MJ Hagar, but I, I'll say this, Julie. She's she's been in a race for a long time. She was the one of the first Democrats in. But I got the feeling toward the end of the process, most Texans still didn't know really what MJ Hagar was all about, who she was or any of that. And her money came in late. And I, I just think that she never had, had liftoff, especially the way Beto O'Rourke had liftoff in
1: 2018. Well, I, Beto I think was able to be on the road and she wasn't able to be on the road as much because of the pandemic, but beyond that, what I think hurt M.J. Hager is she did not get support from Democrats that she ran against in the primary.
2: Nor did she seek support from Democrats that she ran against in the primary, which is also strange. You got to unify the party before you can go and, and, and take on the big elephant. You know what I mean?
1: Not a surprise, I think we knew, but you know, this is a setback for Democrats from 2018. And you know, I'll tell you something, I think we all really realized, I mean, we realized it in 2018, but we really realized the Beto O'Rourke effect.
2: Yeah, it seems like that was real. Um, And maybe candidates do matter. You just can't put anybody in a a position and expect them to replicate what happened in a previous election and uh and i i don't think we should underestimate the fact that republicans were prepared this time uh we kind of caught them by surprise in 18. i talked to a democratic operative and he said that maybe we could have picked up a few more house seats four or five more in 18. but they were ready this time and it was just a much difficult a difficult task much more difficult task.
1: all right my partner all right I'll see you to tape the show, Socially Distant, of course. Chris, I know. Um, thanks Chris, for
2: coming today. I would say take a nap, but you're so wired that that's probably not possible right now. Oh, I'm
1: going to take a nap. All, All right, right, there
0: you go. All
2: right.
1: All right. Bye, guys. Take care.
0: Thanks. Earlier Wednesday, Dallas Morning News Washington Bureau Chief Todd Gilman joined NBC5 to discuss the election. Here he is with NBC5's Deborah Ferguson.
3: Todd, Democrats came up short in Texas. The president won. Republicans kept the state house. They didn't lose any congressional seats. So what happened?
4: Well, for one thing, the pollsters apparently got it wrong. For another thing, uh, Joe Biden never made a really serious play for Texas, despite the uh, the pleas from Beto O'Rourke and Julian Castro and the state Democratic chair. It was really a half-hearted effort. A uh, six-point win for Trump is, is pretty strong, but much weaker than his nine-point win, which itself was pretty weak. This could have maybe been the year that Texas tilted, but you know, unless you make a huge investment in a grand game and you, you work it in the Rio Grande Valley, It just didn't come together. And the other thing is that we did not see the suburbs uh, shifting to the Democrats and away from the president in the way that so many people expected. So one thing that we've learned from this election is that Republicans may not have as much to fear as they thought when there is large turnout, because it turns out that when voters come out, some of them are, are for each party.
3: Let's talk a little bit more about the race for president. As Evan was just pointing out in that story, President Trump claimed last night that he's already won. Did he? And he says all the voting should stop. Will it? I know you just got off a call with some of the president's representatives. So kind of take us through what's going on here.
4: It's really very peculiar, and it's hard to tell if the president is just, you know, if it's just bluster from the president, his team is not backing him up. Congressional Republicans, Senate Republicans are certainly not backing him up. Some of them still haven't had their races called and they want the votes to to still be counted. Um, And the president's campaign team is kind of sidestepping the president's claim. They are saying, we gotta be really careful to make sure that only valid votes are counted, but they are not saying that the voting Counting tabulation in places like Pennsylvania or, or Arizona should stop. So, I think as the day plays out, we're going to see if they actually go to court, if they actually go to the Supreme Court, what grounds the president thinks he has, either factually or legally. There really are none. I mean, there's until you prove fraud, there's no fraud that would be a basis to stop the tabulation and there's no legal basis. State laws everywhere allow for tabulation to continue for days after uh, election day.
3: Mm -hmm. All right, so when we take a look at the electoral map, so far at this point, Maine has just come through with uh, three electoral votes for President Trump. So it's 227 to 213, 270 of course that magic number. So when will we know for sure who will be the next president of the United States? Will it be Mr. Trump staying in office, or will it be Joe Biden?
4: Um, I can't be sure. The the Biden team thinks that they will hit critical mass by late afternoon today. Uh, Wisconsin, the the vice president, former vice president is ahead slightly and all votes have been counted. So they think Wisconsin is gonna fall into their category. They feel that they have an insurmountable lead in Michigan. Uh, Biden already took Arizona, uh, which was a big takeaway from, uh, from Trump There could be a decision later today, but there could also not be a decision today, and it could take several more days. I would say settle in, don't get too excited with every little, oh, Maricopa County has reported kind of report. Uh, It's not over until it's really over.
3: Right. All right. Well, Todd, for right now, though, this interview is over. So thanks so much for joining us and giving us your perspective on it. Todd Gilman in Washington with the Dallas Morning News. You can uh, read Todd's take on what's happening right now at DallasNews.com.
0: So that's what we know at the moment. Thank you for sticking with NBC5 for all your Texas politics coverage. Check NBCDFW.com for the latest updates as we roll towards the weekend. We'll be back with our regular Lone Star Politics podcast on Sunday.